Oh good, you made it to the Improv Comedy Connection. I'm your host, Whit Schiller, and if you've been on this journey with me, you know that we've had guests from around the world. 18 countries on 6 continents, if you're curious, and from across the U.S. too. This episode would be special just based on the guests, but it's also unique in that it's the first episode with someone from my home base here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Michelle Gilliam is our guest. Although she's local to me, she's world-class for sure, and if you've been active online and in the global improv community during the pandemic, she's a name you know. In fact, I got to know her not by bumping into her at an improv performance or out and about here in Milwaukee, but I got to know her post-pandemic and online. We talk some about that, but we also talk about building community, supporting one another, and being human. There's a lot of depth to Michelle, so not only take notes along the way, but also write down your thoughts and impressions after listening to the complete conversation. This is a fun one, so enjoy the Michelle Gilliam episode of the Improv Comedy Connection. Maybe we should just jump in because... Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so so just before probably the episode starts, we're having this little conversation about our first interaction. And let me tell you, the, the lead up to that interaction, okay? So this is our first podcast episode with someone in Milwaukee, okay? Mm -hmm. So I first heard of you in, I guess it would have been April, I'm sorry, no, no, not April. I think like July 2020 was at least the first time I connected that you were in Milwaukee. (laughs) And, well, it's kind of seen your name bubble up a little bit here and there, and I think you were doing your 10-minute scene with Jay Suko. And it said Milwaukee time. And I'm like, Milwaukee time? He always puts where that person is. And I'm like, this person (laughs) seems so good. (laughs) And you had you had a lot of interesting things to say. And I just would see like little videos and stuff online. It's like, how do I not know this star in Milwaukee? at all and I mean I think I've kind of backpedaled and figured out why and we can talk about our sort of experiences in this community yeah but then then I did I did come on kind of strong because it's just like I gotta know I gotta know she's here she's here in Uh, Milwaukee yeah it was yeah and then you sent you sent me a message and and you're like it felt like a like a lot of as I said (laughs) Like you're coming in hot, like at me, and I'm just like, <laughs> right. like this is not what we should be doing right now. No, <laughs> right? no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It is. It is so me, and I lost track of you know kind of the self awareness of it. But it was meant to be a compliment mm. because it was. It was just so obvious you were you were solid and mm. thoughtful about this stuff, and so that's one of the reasons why I've been excited about this conversation. Thank it's you. also one of the reasons why it took a little while because it's like I gotta let this wear off a little bit because <laughs> no, that's the thing. It's like I think people don't realize like I'm like I'm very open and like even though like I I still say things every once in a while about yeah. you know the old theater I was associated with here and then I also say things about comedy sports because those are the theaters that I you know right. was associated with and like I don't hate these places i don't dislike those people like and even with you like i was able to say hey we don't know each other yet like so (laughs) relax uh 
man yeah. I don't know yet who's right, coming into right. my inbox, you know? <laughs> um, so like, what, like I say things and, and I, I would like, you know, certain results and you were able to reflect that, and you didn't even have to take that long. I was curious about you and wanted to, you know, right. know more about you. And I still do. But I think people sometimes get the impression of like, oh, she must hate me or dislike me. And I'm like, that's like not even who I am as a human being. So like, you know. No, that that does that doesn't. And I, I don't know. I didn't get that feeling at all either from you, if that's what you're saying. I don't know that that is. But it was also, um, you know, there there is something just to the personalities in improv. And this may be mm. me. I don't know if you do this, but there are some people that you get to know from afar and you feel like you know them better than you do. And so you can sometimes be too familiar. <laughs> in improv? Well, in improv or other, you know, other places. I mean, I just think there there are people who sometimes, like sports figures. Mm-hmm. I remember, you know... Um, I grew up in Detroit, and Barry Sanders, the running back, was, you know, retired suddenly, probably because he was with the Detroit Lions. <laughs> um, but, but then all all kinds of people were saying, well, that's because he's this way or that. And we don't know him, you know. So Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've always been very oddly, it's so funny, like, very, I've always been very oddly protective of celebrities. Like, yeah since I was young, like if my family would say something about this person or that person, I'm just like, like I would always go to the humanity of that person. I'm like, look, everyone makes mistakes and everyone, you know, makes choices for their lives. Right. But Mm -hmm. these people are under a microscope and then not only under, are they under a microscope? It's like, it's, it's mm, the ripple effects are by millions. Right. And everyone gets to weigh in on their lives and, and who they are and make opinions when they're literally just a human being. Right. And it's kind of funny, like that transitions into my improv. I like, that's what I do. So to speak in my improv is I tap into the humanity of what Mm -hmm. everyone can connect to. Everyone's been through heartbreak. Everyone's been through, you know, situations that are little annoyances at work or that they've done something like crazy with one of their friends. Like everybody has been through those things. And that's what I tap into for mm-hmm. improv too. I don't know. That was a strange transition. Sorry. No, because, it, <laughs> but it's all about the, the humanizing of things. You know, yeah. I, I have a phrase, one of my corollaries, one of my universal truths of human existence is that inside we're all scared little children. Mm. And and I think that's been helpful to remember because you can you can dehumanize uh, or or make somebody different mm-hmm. than than whatever human is. Yeah. By making them less or by making them more. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, and losing track of our commonality, right. I think, does put us in a weird position. Or even if it doesn't put us in a weird position, it puts the other person in a weird position, and then it becomes isolating. So when you mention celebrities, or if it's someone of wealth or whatever, or whatever it is that makes somebody think, well, they must be different because of this, well, you've just made them less, yeah. less of a person. Yeah. Yeah. So you now have kind of this sort of, uh, to me, it seems like kind of a, a, you've you've been all over the place online. And so there is an element of presence 
that mm. maybe, uh, like I said, can lead someone to be too familiar to make some assumptions about you that maybe aren't Michelle at all. Hit me with those assumptions. <laughs> <laughs> this is the hardcore reporting of Witch Chiller. Let's that's, go. That's right. <laughs> Oh, I'm not the hardcore reporter. I'm not a gotcha person. Uh, every episode, it's I kind of like I one. I want to learn more about this person, and for those who don't know who you are, or even those who do, I want them to hear you. So, um, uh, so if I think of something nefarious, I'll I'll release it as as a surprise. Yay. <laughs> I also so, want to know more about, I know this is supposed to be my interview, but I want to know more about you too. Like you said, we're in the same city. We don't, we've never seen each other's legs, you know, we've, right. I, I, <laughs> we've never met. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. But, um, uh, I do have legs. Uh, I have both of them. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm six, six. That's one thing. Really? That yeah. So I don't know how tall you are. You don't have to say. I'm five two. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's, that's a difference, right? So you, oh we are God. actually, I think I am a little taller than you in our rectangles here, but I'm also <laughs> in a different perspective. <laughs> um, so, Hey, let's talk about the community thing yeah. as well. Cause community in the pre pandemic was much heavier geographically. And that didn't mean, though, that it was necessarily either healthy or full community within the city. So your time in Milwaukee, we figured out, didn't really line up when you were most active in some of the improv communities, comedy sports to start, and then some other things after. Because you may have been around comedy sports, but you weren't doing comedy sports when you came back in... 2009? Oh, gosh, no. I, I'd i been back on and off for a while. I had a business for eight years in my 20s okay. where I traveled the country. So it wasn't really conducive to do improv consistently anywhere anyway. So okay. um, I was here, even though I lived in Milwaukee, but I was, I was gone on the road 80% mm. of the time. So okay. Okay. Yeah. That's a rough life. <laughs> At least it would be for me. I don't think I would enjoy that. Did you? I did very much. Yeah. Oh, did you? I, okay. Yeah. I did the Chicago Auto Show, the New York Auto Show. Um, okay. I did some really neat jewelry shows in Chicago and New Orleans and hmm. Los Angeles. And yeah, I was in Massachusetts a lot. The biggie. Okay. Big Eastern States Exposition. I, I loved it, but I don't have a family. Or I mean, I don't have children or a husband. So yeah. <laughs> okay. And you're you you grew up here, so your your Born and family raised. of origin is is all here. Yes, my parents are okay. here. My brother and my sister, and um, yeah, I grew up in Glendale, and then we moved to Milwaukee, and yeah. Okay. So how would you describe your experience in the Milwaukee community before you left and after you came back for improv yeah so I again I wasn't very involved at all by the time that I left uh so Mm -hmm. I left and I moved to Madison um Mm -hmm. I was working for a company I got my first job when I was 30 years old my first official job I worked at comedy sports when I was a kid 
but mm -hmm. um so i moved to madison which is for just for the listeners about an hour and a half west of here so you're you're close but you're not you would be away right right and yeah. i was doing a lot of, i was working a lot uh for the company that i worked for at the time and um i found monkey business i think which was an offshoot oh, of yeah. comedy sports uh there mm -hmm. were like uh some people who i think had purchased the license uh uh for comedy sports but then let it lapse and then just started their own company which happens right. literally all the time um <laughs> yes. you know and and dick's not hurting you know but i just think it's so weird when people do that anyway yeah, yeah. um <laughs> so so anyway i went to like a monkey business show and they had they did like a full show because I was missing, you know, improv while I was there. Yeah. And it was me and one other guy in the audience. And I think <laughs> so a big made, crowd. <laughs> yeah, big crowd. There were like eight people on stage, two people in the audience. <laughs> there was like a sound person. And then they like the the other guy who was in the audience with me was like sleeping most of the time and he also didn't have any shoes on. So I was like, mm. they may have just picked him up off the street and that's fine you know i'm glad he had a, a nice place to come into for a little Either while that, that's level two that's a level <laughs> two student right exactly. i don't know <laughs> exactly you never know um okay so i i sent them an email i guess i just like missed their audition process or whatever and i was like hey this is my experience blah 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 yakety smackety and they were like uh i was like i would love to you know play and i was like and if i suck just like you know toss me to the wayside and right. uh they were like well no we have a very strict process and blah, blah, blah. i was like okay uh -huh. whatever but then that yeah. did, I was just like, you know what? I should just start teaching classes on my own here. I was like, I'm bored, you know? Oh, okay. And um, so I secured a space at this hotel that I did some other programming things that I did there. And mm -hmm. yeah, I, I knew the um, the hotel salesperson. And she's like, yes, I can give you, you know, a discount, blah, 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 yucky, smacky. And... So sorry, I got. Is that a Michelle? That. Is that a Michelle Gilliam thing? <laughs> I I'm, think so. <laughs> I've never. I don't think I've ever heard you say it, but now I've heard it twice. <laughs> sorry, and now I will have to do it a third time for the rule of threes eventually. But um, so but then okay. then my company sends me this email that's like, "Hey, we want to give you a, a truckload of money to move to Boston to grand open these doors." you have mm. two and a half or three weeks to <laughs> make this choice. So I spoke to my family and I was like, I think I'm moving to Boston. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and so I was like, these are the terms. This is what they gave me and this is what they'll do. And I, I talked to my general manager that was, you know, at my location and he was like, yeah, and they're going to promote you as soon as you go out there. I was like, what? I was like, I haven't, it's been like three or four years with this company. I haven't been promoted yet. It's like, I highly doubt that. Okay. So the second I get there, they promote me. Um, mm -hmm. so, so, so I, I went from having like about 40 people that I could hang out with when I got to Boston okay. yeah. to having four people I could hang out with. But they all had, you know, significant others, partners. And I was like, oh, so I'm by myself. So I was mm -hmm. like, how can I make qu friends quickly um, <laughs> and, and really fall in love, you know, with the city? So I got back into improv. It was great. It was wonderful. I was like, oh, why did I ever stop? I was like, <laughs> so, yeah, I was in Boston. No, just, for to yeah, yeah. just to pause on that, though, 
when you got back into it, did you have to go like through certain class structures or things like that for Boston or no? I did not. So but how did there, that work? Yeah. So there was, so I found, uh, I figured they had drop-ins or something like that or shows that okay. I could go to. So I started going to uh, some just drop-ins and there's one thing called YAP or Yes And Practice, which I actually just started at Improv MKE as well. Saw that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I found out that Joy Carletti was the person who started that in Boston, which is really cool. I love that yeah. kind of history of things. So I... I started going to Yap. They had like advanced drop-ins. They had all kinds. Of, they had a, a jam on Wednesday nights um, after Herald Night, um, and technically you were supposed to be like a three hundred one student or above. And okay. but like literally, people that I didn't know were like, "You can get up there," because they'd seen me like at the Yap practices or or, or things like that. And they're like, you clearly have experience. But like, I didn't go into the scene and be like, oh, I have, you know, almost 20 years of improv experience. Um, But people were curious about me. And they're like, there's no way you're that good. And, you know, you're just like a regular person. Mm -hmm. But I also, you know, I didn't want to be like cocky or whatever about Mm -hmm. it. So anyway, I... I ended up, yeah, just doing a lot of that. And then I got cast. I went to the auditions. Improv Boston had these huge auditions where 500 people would come in over two days um, to audition for maybe 20 to 25 spots. It was kind of awful, uh, but also kind of exhilarating and fun and really neat. And I'd never seen anything like that before. But I guess that can be common in certain areas. That's not obviously in our town. That's not a thing that happens. Right. And so I was cast on a Herald team which was kind of funny. It was like um like a beginning Herald team or what have you, which is okay. good because I'd never done a Herald before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, I, I kind of knew what it was a little bit from Chicago, but not that much because uh, right. I went to college in Chicago. And uh, I was like, maybe I've done one or two Heralds before, but I, I learned pretty quickly and I'm still learning and I love it. So yeah, that was kind of, uh, so classes. <laughs> So they cast me yeah. and they cast another guy who had come from Chicago, but was originally from like the Boston area. Okay. And I don't like, it's going to sound awful, but we were kind of two of the most talented people who had come through auditions mm-hmm. and they were like, so they, they started to make this rule because people were upset who'd gone through all the classes and paid. And they're like, okay, if you're, if you're a cast member now, you have to have gone through our curriculum. It's like, even though I was cast without that, right? Without that caveat, I now had to go back and take classes. Now they, they gave them to me for free, but okay. they basically wanted it to appear as if my level of talent was the result of their, their teaching. Yeah. Which wasn't yeah. accurate and kind of silly, but, you know, I, I carved out time in my insane schedule and I took classes when I could. And I don't know, I don't remember what level I made it to, but I mean, I made new friends. I networked with more people. Um, right. It's not all bad. No, to do that. no, no, no. So, what do you think is good about that? And what do you think is bad about that? I think that I, I'd heard rumblings of them needing like a new structure for their school. Okay. And. I feel like if they had listened to the community mm-hmm. and actually re like re did all of their curriculum that it might be more conducive to the level of talent 
that they want on their stages and also just being realistic with the expectations and also just being honest like whoever to me you reflect whoever your director is at that time as far as your shows and things like it is very subjective i would make i would make a post every time there were auditions and they did them twice a year and i'd say you know it doesn't mean anything if you don't get cast you know don't make it mean anything about yourself it doesn't mean that you're good it doesn't mean that you're bad it does you know and if you do get cast don't create a story about that either right because that doesn't matter either it's it's usually one to five people maybe making those decisions and choices you know and sometimes it's even very political like you just don't know so those processes are very strange to me what I would personally do if I had a process like that is I would set it up that way and let people know that this is what we're looking for. It doesn't mean anything about you. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you're a great performer. It doesn't mean that you're a bad performer. It doesn't mean that you're a mediocre performer. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. It mm-hmm. just simply means that this is what we found that we're looking for at this time, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, if we really want to get into it, a lot of the time people are screaming, right now this past year like why don't Mm -hmm. why why isn't there more diversity why don't we have more black people more women more people of color right but if we look at it in an honest way the filters that we're going through are usually white male right so Mm -hmm. it's like what this person thinks is funny not Mm -hmm. what is from a more broad perspective Mm -hmm. um and you, you do clean comedy, right? Like you do. I do, yeah. Right. So it's like in that, and it's your right for it to come through your filter and your perspective, because that's what you're creating for yourself, right? But I, if you're going to have like an audition process, and I'm not talking like you specifically, but just no, like no, in I general, right, right. Like it's got, it has to be very. I think it's very important if you want to continue to have a community that works together and feels as if they belong there which they to me they do unless you really unless you're really straight and you're like we don't want you you know (laughs) it's like let's be really honest about this and then when you do ask women and people of color what can we do to make these things better actually listen and implement and put people in positions of power not just in face or name but with actual power to be able to make a difference to make transformation in your community and be open to that i think that sometimes power and ego can really ruin communities for sure i i'll also share something that i feel was a i'm kind of stumbling around to get this because we just had a class with a couple of folks who were not primary english speakers uh by birth and they they uh, were both fluent we were playing a pun-based game in our exercise and afterwards we were doing some debrief debriefing and both of them said the same thing it was actually kind of good because one of them lost her connection then she came back up and said the exact same thing as the other guy which was like I just felt like whatever I was going to say was going to be stupid or not funny or whatever they said that, you know, they both said slightly different things. So I didn't move forward as much. And the invitation, or at least removing this idea that somehow there's, even if that standard isn't there, or if it's there, you put it away, give space for people to then be free. And then they're, 
they're funny because how can you be if you feel all this pressure Right. to meet some other standard that just doesn't fit for you. I don't right. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I think I know what you're you're saying like that it's even an unwritten. And you maybe maybe this is kind of how I can relate it a little bit more. It's like yeah, yeah. you've probably had different you've had different improv teachers and Sometimes you're like, oh, I, you know, I'm killing it in this class. I feel like everything that I'm doing is saying is great and it's fun and, and people seem to like it. Right. And then you go to another class with another instructor and they're like, this person hates me. They hate everything I say, everything I do. And I just can't get my footing. Right. It's kind of a little bit my, maybe like that. Like it's like from the perspective of you like you're filtering yourself through the perspective of the person who's teaching or their expectations is that what you're saying or maybe not yeah i think there's some of that like you you can project expectations which might be there or might be worse yeah. than you think they are but maybe they're not or you may be unconsciously projecting expectations if you're in that position of authority Mm -hmm. uh, it's improv so power and improv seems so dumb <laughs> um but you know, so, I mean, someone's making certain decisions and things like that, and you want them to be decisions that are affirming because, I, I don't know, to, to me, one of the things that does, this is not a gotcha moment for Michelle, um, <laughs> but one of the things that comes across very clearly is that there is this value of treating everybody as as a human. Yes. And that that should... I say that under... a lot, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well... <laughs> You say it, and you also project that a lot. And and this, I think, I think it's laudable. I also think it fits the art, and I think it fits even early on. Some of like when I go back to that original um, <laughs> Facebook Messenger <laughs> exchange, it's just trying to figure out like, okay, improv MKE. Okay, what what's that? Is that like this? And like, no, it's oh. not that. Is it this? No, it's not that. <laughs> then I think I asked you, is it a horticultural club or something like that? Just because I'm like, <laughs> I'm getting nowhere with you. Yeah. I have no idea what this is. And, yeah. and then I want to come back to the competitive thing yeah. that I think maybe was like, okay, let's take a step back from <laughs> these, these uh, hot and heavy questions. But when you have that as a foundational base, there are consequences to maintaining those values, right? Mm-hmm. So if that is a value, how do you put that into a community? Like what, what is the community that you're trying to build yeah. with Improv MKE or otherwise? That is such a great question. So I think I'm doing it, number one. It feels that way anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so there are not everyone is given the same opportunities and i think that that's a very clear takeaway from this pandemic that a lot of people have learned or right. didn't want to face at first and now mm -hmm. are kind of like looking at and some people have looked at it and still are ignoring it because they don't care and that's fine too right that's a choice and some people are pretending to care until things open up which they are now um, right. and then they'll go back to exactly the way they were before and that's fine too and then I, I look at it like they'll blame the victim, right? It's like, well, I can't, I don't know where the black people are, right? So anyway, but how do you do that? So I have a code of conduct. 
that I say at the beginning of all of my activities that happen at Improv MKE that essentially say that like we're going to treat everyone the way that they want to be treated, not the way that you want to be treated because the way you mm-hmm. want to be treated might be different, right? Yeah. So I think it's called, you know, the platinum rule or something, but I have different language that I use for it. <laughs> okay. Right? Um, <laughs> We're going to get I, up to diamond level one of these days, right? Totally. totally. <laughs> um, so that's like a huge aspect of everything that we do. It's like being respectful of points of views and, and um, uh, perspectives that may not be your own. I'll give you an example. The other day I had someone at my jam, uh, when people were introducing themselves, they said, um, my name is such and sod. My pronouns are she, her, they, him, whatever. And Mm. I was just, I said, so, and we were like just about a third of the way into introductions and I paused and I shared with everyone, the whole group, they're about 15, 16 people there. Okay. And I said, so when we're giving our pronouns, I said, we're going to be respectful. What we want to do is be respectful of everyone that's here. So we, we don't want to make light of it. We don't, we want to be respectful. We want to be kind to each other. Mm-hmm. And that's just what we do and how we do it in the space. And this was a newer person. This person had maybe been in my jam like once before. Okay. And then they said to back to me, they said, um, they said, oh, I'm just older and I don't get it. And I said, well, I was like, you don't have to get it. I said, but you do have to respect it in this space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they got it. You know, they got like, okay, we're not going to make fun. We're not going to like make light because, mm-hmm. um, and I've even had to explain it to people in my life where it's like, if I were explaining it to you, let's say you were a family member of mine, I would say, mm-hmm. well, what it would be like me calling you she all the time or her, like that would not fit well for you. Correct. <laughs> like that doesn't, that, that doesn't feel right for you. And that's the way it feels for other people. I don't have to understand it. I always tell people like I'm in the in-between I'm 39. So like I, I both understand the quote unquote old school way of doing things and the newer way of doing things to a certain extent. And I'm still learning every single day. And those are things that I want pristine in my space, right? Or I want people to be able to feel comfortable. If someone identifies as they, them, I want them to feel just as comfortable as somebody right. who's she, her, right? right? Same thing I want for, I want a, a black person or a person of color to be able to step into my space or a woman, you know, or to, to step into my space and know that they can be themselves. Mm-hmm. And that they're going to be respected. I, I, I say this a lot too. I don't know. You probably heard it before. But like there's so many improv teachers out there that are ill-equipped to deal with situations as they arise. Mm-hmm. To deal with if something racist comes up, if something sexist comes up, if something transphobic comes up. Like mm-hmm. ill-equipped to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And that impacts the community that you're attempting to build, right? Right. If you had someone that was cursing all the time in your classes, you know, that would not be a good fit for fish sticks, right? Well, on stage, it would be an issue. Right, right. Yeah. 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 
they probably wouldn't if that's what we're hired for right yes well they probably wouldn't make it to the stage right so you know (laughs) let's be honest Mm -hmm. if if they were explore you know well if that's it yeah because there's an element of uh i don't want you to interrupt but just kind of kind of flow in with what you're saying i think is that there is a i think kind of a self-centeredness to some of the things that you're talking about so like if someone is like i don't get the pronouns it's kind of like i don't want to spend the time figuring it out and so i'm gonna do me and in some ways we talk about doing you know i you should do you i should do me whatever i mean there's an element of that (laughs) at the same time like our sort of philosophy of improv we call other centered and so if you've got if you've got someone who how you interact with them is going to make them feel less or uncomfortable or excluded or whatever then don't make it about you and whether it takes more work then just fi- figure it out just figure it out well some people don't even get that far you know as you say with the the, the self-centered piece right it's like if i'm so self-centered and to the point where I think I can literally come to this jam that I've never been to before, maybe once before, and just like kind of be flippant about something that means so much to someone else, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've had people do that. I've, you know, and I've had people use the N word when I was in a scene before and like to, to, and I was the only black person on the team, one of the only women on the team. And, it's like to be that callous, to be that uncaring, yeah. to be that, you know, it's like, and no, it wasn't used towards me, but like, that's doesn't matter. Doesn't exactly, matter. Exactly. Like, come mm. on. And it's like, I'm not trying to send like uh, censor people. I'm also the person that says you can do anything as long as it's played to the top of your intelligence. And I've even had like black people challenge me on this. Oh, can a white guy play a black woman on stage? And here's my response. It's like, I don't think a black, a white man can play a black woman on stage to the top of their intelligence. They would be playing a stereotype of what they think a black woman, who she is. So I don't think it's possible, you know? So like, no. So I don't know. It's kind of a weird logic, but. No, no, no. So, so let's let's talk about the top of your intelligence thing because yeah. that has a certain meaning to me, which you've just put into a different context yeah. or a different. What was your meaning? Well, the, the meaning in in some ways is is uh, I mean to describe it on the opposite side. Don't try to be the wacky, dumb, bumbling version of this. If you're going to be a surgeon, even if you don't know anything about surgery, do it as best as you can. So there's an element of do it as best as you can that's in there. Now that that being a, a doctor or being a whatever, you know, like occupation-wise, doesn't have, I mean, it doesn't have the same kind of... Um, sensitivities around it i would think so the fact that i'm not a surgeon i don't i don't think means that i can't play a surgeon to the top of my intelligence whatever that would be right Mm -hmm. but if i am asked to play a russian boy in communist soviet union in the 50s 
I don't know what that experience is like. Or, or just, you know, a, a, a little girl in the same... Let's make it that much different than me. But I wouldn't think that I couldn't play that to the top of my intelligence. Right. But I think where the concerns come in is maybe... And I'm asking, I'm not telling. I'm saying okay. that maybe it's not that you can't play it to the top of your intelligence, but you can't play it in a way so that it is seen as to the top of your caring and respect for someone because you you can't overcome what those limitations might be. Or even if you can, the audience might not be able to perceive that that's what you're doing. Like I think of like some of the accents that were used in comedy sports, like you would get in the early aughts, you know, it was very common for people to throw out Indian accents or, uh, you know, particularly Asian accents, which based on the way I think those have been in society in the U.S. were almost always done in a disrespectful way. So even if you know someone intimately well and can and you love them and respect them and can do a spot-on impression of their accent the audience probably is going to take that and tie it back to their stereotype even if you're not is that making sense am i thinking too hard about this or what you're saying no that's that's correct also i would add to it if that is not our culture we should probably stay away from it. But some a friend of mine said this once, and I won't. Yeah, I won't, you can leave I them unnamed. Yeah, right. I think I'll, I'll leave them unnamed. But um, yeah, in a in a class, he said it was just kind of like, and I I don't I don't like saying this a lot because I, I want to find a more eloquent way to say it. But it's like we stay away from accents of the oppressed, but we can do the oppressor. Yeah. So. Like even me, right? Like I am, I identify as African-American. I grew up in Wisconsin, born and raised. Um, But I don't do, like I have a very good friend who is Haitian. I have a very good friend who is um, Nigerian. And, but they're basically American raised, but their culture, like their second generation or first generation or what have you. And I don't do those accents without their permission on stage, Mm -hmm. you know? And Mm -hmm. Only because, yes, I, I look like I could be from one of those places. If I looked like you, I would not do it. <laughs> like, that is just me right. being being kind. And I've literally walked on stage and I was supposed to be French before. And I, I'm just like, you know, I you know, I know that I'm, I'm French-Canadian or whatever. Like, I speak like myself. It's like, you don't always have to, to go to yeah. an accent either. But I get, like, in short form... Like we, we take a lot of those suggestions and, but we also have to be skilled in how not to take those suggestions as well mm-hmm. and be mm-hmm. respectful of our audience and be respectful of the people that we want in our spaces as well. Yeah. I heard you talk about, I'm assuming it's the same person that you mentioned in terms of how you wouldn't do a Haitian accent mm-hmm. without her permission. And I'm personally um, challenged by that and thinking through that because Prior to that, I would I was thinking, you know, kind of along the lines of what you said, you know, if it's an accent of the uh, oppressor, then that's okay to kind of play with. 
Whereas if it's uh, something that might represent the oppressed or, you know, where there's power dynamics in there that you have to make different choices, perhaps. At the same time, you know, your, the, the way you phrased it, I think is, is, is really worth thinking through if it is tied to the value of being human with everybody and making sure that that's how everybody feels. So I think that's great that you're putting that kind of stuff out there. I do think too, I think you'll agree with this. I think it is important to not make exceptions just because someone isn't in the room either. Oh, yes. I think you have to think about who's not in the room too um, on all levels. My hope and goal (laughs) is that there will come a time where that's not even a thought. Mm -hmm. You, You exist for people who don't exist in your world yet, right? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's really who I feel like we should be. I know that sounds like all judgy, but like, right? It's like if I if let's say that you'd never done improv before with and mm-hmm. you know, you're still 10 years off from do ever doing it. I want to create a space that you mm-hmm. who's never done improv before can find a space and a place and see yourself in mm-hmm. and just be like, oh, wow, that's amazing. That's fun. I want to learn that. And I feel comfortable in this community, right? Right, right. Like that's that's my goal, whether it's you or anyone yeah. like that can add and and be an asset to bringing others in and being a space of love and... You know, that's what's important to me, if that makes any sense. It does. It does. So you you haven't taken a lot of classes, right? No. Uh, it's, it's in some ways you've done more teaching than taking classes, probably, right? It's really funny. I did a, an interview with Rich Baker the other day, or a couple weeks ago, I guess now. And he asked me a question that I'd never been asked before and I had to think about it and I was like okay why why is this so anyway he asked me what the transition was like from being a performer to being a teacher and I was like why is this a weird question for me Mm-hmm. And it was a weird question for me because you never had a transition. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, I started yeah. teaching. So I, you know, I started performing. I was introduced to improv at 14. I started performing at 15. And then I was so obsessed right away. First of all, I, and you probably all know this, I started volunteering at comedy sports before I was old enough to work there. Mm-hmm. Then, and Dick would let me just like make the, the name tags. And then I worked there. And I watched every single show, every single weekend, and made Dick give me a list of all of the games, made all my teachers uh, teach me how to play them or give okay. me the basic rules. I held rehearsals twice a week after school, and I taught the rehearsals. Yeah. <laughs> so I was teaching as I was playing, and I was mm-hmm. watching and observing and picking out what each player did how they did it, how they interacted. I wasn't teaching my team to be those people and I wasn't going to be those players either. But I'm I, sorry, what do you mean by be those people? What do you so mean? So I think that a lot of improvisers try to emulate their favorite mm. improviser instead of being themselves. 
but yeah, there, yeah. I, f- I feel like there are, especially in short form, there are ways of being that are conducive to a good show. And mm-hmm. so that's what I was picking out. And I was like, okay, so, you know, you create kind of, you can create like a persona, you know, it's like, am I the kind of not that smart uh, player on this side? Am I this person who's always going to confidently say the wrong answer? Am I, am I just the silly goofy person, you know, or am I a different person every time I come up? Who am I, you know, what your relationship is not only with your, your fellow performers and the referee, but it's also with the audience. So find, you know, that's what I was teaching when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. a weirdo. And go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, I mean, that's, it's just sort of a, there is an insight into that because what you're doing in some ways is figuring out the human dynamics yes. of ensemble and you're forced to because you're teaching. Yeah. And that's that's in some ways that's a large part of being a pro i think i think so too yeah thank you we uh uh, i just had and uh, just released a little before our conversation conversation with felipe ortiz from colombia and uh he was sharing his experience which was basically kind of thrown into improv without much in the way of instruction and they sort of figured it out and then they got a book or two here or something like that. He's a fabulous performer and a fabulous thinker about this stuff. We kind of just sort of figured it out, which allowed him to be in some ways, I think probably more himself than he otherwise would have been. Yeah. You mentioned uh, just a bit ago that you think a lot of people try to emulate their favorite improvisers. Personally, I don't feel like I ever did that, but I also started later than you. I started as as an adult as opposed to a high school kid, and I was just kind of, I don't know, messing around and just, and all of a sudden it was like the hook set, and then now I'm in. But, you know, when you look at an ensemble, if you have everybody who is the exact same performer, you're not going to have a good show. You've got to have you've got to have a balance of different talents and skill sets and sensibilities so that you can have have fun with those differences and just the different ways that you think. Yeah. Yeah. So when you put together a community from scratch, now you've been doing this, you started M- Improv MKE kind of in earnest like Right at the pandemic, right? <laughs> well, I had, that wasn't the plan. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I know, <laughs> right? Yeah, so I'm. I feel really grateful that I continued because I had found a space here in Milwaukee, and it's gonna. Uh, it would have been really incredible. And anyway, so that didn't yeah. happen because the pandemic happened. Happen. <laughs> Um, Thankfully, you weren't on the hook for monthly rent, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. I do feel really lucky about that. I didn't lose any money. Yeah. Oh, gosh. It just, it's, that could have been terrible. <laughs> yeah, but also it's just insane to think about now, just like how different the world is. But I'm, like, I'm really grateful for a lot of the things that have happened. And at mm-hmm. the same time, it's like so different than how I envisioned. Gosh, sorry. I was thinking about my space and... Um, I forgot the question. Just wistfully <laughs> thinking about the yeah. space. Well, let me let me ask you about if if you were able to look back at how you might have thought 
in March of 2020 to how you would think of in uh, June, July 2021, what do you think you will do different with regard to the in-person community aspect of what you'll, uh, you know, you'll do? Based Maybe nothing, on what but... Based on what I've learned yeah. over the past year? Yeah. Um. Well, first of all, the online element, I had dreamt about the online element because I had so many great people and teachers in Boston. And I was like, how can I bring them to my community here? Because like, mm-hmm. I can only teach and take people so far. And I know that like other people don't have the experience in long form here to be able to do that. And I was slightly plugged into the Chicago scene, but the Chicago scene was also very um, clickish at the time still. Um, and mm-hmm. nobody was going to come to Milwaukee to do anything, you know. Um, <laughs> Jill Bernard was going to come here to do a, a workshop mm-hmm. and I wasn't able to take it, but I was going to perform with her, which is really cool. And I had never met her before. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we know each other from online, which mm-hmm. is really great. But that was a rarity. Like we didn't have, you know, people coming here. There was this attitude of, you know, Milwaukee sucks. There is no long form there, which was kind of true. And which is funny to me, too, because it's like I didn't realize people had this attitude about us. (laughs) 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 Maybe you did. Uh, But what am I going to do differently? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know yet. I, okay. Differently. I just my my whole thing is, has always been I want people to feel like they have a place and a space that is safe and that they can be courageous and brave in and take mm-hmm. chances and have fun as long as it doesn't harm others, you know, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, well, <laughs> we can talk about the Milwaukee rep uh, rep reputation not the theater theater. Uh, in in terms (laughs) of improv i mean comedy sports started here in 1984 yeah and is it's been the big presence right and uh in many ways rightfully so i think it's the most active probably still troop when people talk about improv around here they say oh you do comedy sports not like necessarily you're at that theater even though I was but they think what I do now is comedy sports because it's like Kleenex and and facial tissue are the same thing brand name wise um sorry that's a U.S. specific reference but uh uh, (laughs) yeah you you take my meaning so when I don't want I don't want to over uh do this but I if you come into a community and a community is starting to play around with long form. And that's kind of what I remember. So my experience in the improv community here was, you know, I was playing professionally for eight or nine years at comedy sports. And then our group was getting busier and so kind of faded out of that. But around that time was also a little bit of a exodus of people. Eric Price, I remember, went to Mad TV. Uh, some other folks went to L.A., including Dave Tooney, who's one of my favorites, who I see you now uh, performing with uh, often and all that kind of stuff. He's uh, one of my favorites. And some others went out to L.A. and all this kind of stuff. So things were in flux. And at the same time, there's a couple of things kind of bubbling up with people I had never met before or whatever. And 
I guess the focus was on long form a little bit. And then here comes somebody who's got experience in these areas that I think is in excess of what they were bringing at the time. That's sort of my impression. So then what is the community's responsibility then to take in the the, the more experienced kind of folks? What do you, you mean think? like, are you referring to like me? Well, you, yeah. Like, like how, how, I guess maybe here, here's another way to put it. And I'm kind of struggling with this a little bit because, you know, we talk about community and then you also have theaters and you have troops and you have individual teams that, that people can take kind of ownership of, right? So, so if, if it is something that you want to curate with a certain way i mean i guess that that's all fine but there's also i think a sense or a drive or pull in improv that there should be some openness too so it's kind of like what's how do you balance what is owned versus what is shared in improv what's the capitalist socialist balance in improv that we should look for. I don't know if I'm making any sense, Michelle. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I should say I love Eric Price. I love Dave Tooney. Um, I was, Eric was my first improv teacher coach. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of them. So was Tim Higgins. So was Mark Redlick. um, Todd Bishop. Love these guys. And uh, Dave Tooney and I were actually in uh, <laughs> minor leagues together because as I was a teenager, he was coming into uh, improv and uh, it was just, I was just like a nutty little obsessed, you know, kid. And he was an adult and uh, my friend and it was crazy and a lot of fun. So anyway. What year would that be? Somewhere between 96 and 2000. <laughs> when I was okay. in, yeah, high school. Okay. So, yeah, so, and I love that I get to reconnect with him, playing with him and Will and mm-hmm. um, Jim uh, every week. But anyway, so, yeah, my experience is that, <laughs> that is a good question, um, socialist versus, versus capitalist, um, <laughs> improv community. <laughs> I think, so I'll, I'll kind of do this backwards a little bit. So I think that Milwaukee is is prepped and primed and ready and is definitely a community that can be a larger community. I just don't think that they understand more. I don't think Milwaukee understands how, and I have actually seen this happen in other places. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that the, the thought process is too narrow. And even with like, with, with online, I think it got too big. <laughs> I think people need to come to the medium portion of mm-hmm. it and be like, we can like each other. People can work with other people. <laughs> right. It's okay. I I think that there has been this, like, it was hard to break away from comedy sports. The only successful groups, and they weren't, I mean, they were just like a fun group, was uh, the Dead Ale Wives, right? Because they were a lot of the original guys. I don't know. Do you remember the Dead Ale Wives? Or do you know uh, of them? I, I wasn't in Milwaukee at the time that they were active. Okay. But I okay. know the group. I think some of it started actually separate from comedy sports and actually started coming in to comedy sports too. Is this weird kind of mix of separate and together? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, a lot of the guys were in bands, and so that's why they mixed the music with the performance, which was really great. And it was long form; it was not short form, uh, which was really 
neat as well for Milwaukee, but a lot of people don't even know that history of it, right? So it's mm-hmm. like those in the del- dead ale wives, let me put it this way. So comedy sports dominated everything. The mm-hmm. the and still to do to a certain extent, the dead ale wives were able to be somewhat successful and have shows for a while until you know people moved away and lost interest or got into their families and things because right. those were the guys quote unquote in power at comedy sports at the time. So here's what to me in my perspective happens as things do like the, as the dead L wives faded away and other people and those guys kind of attended to their own lives in different ways. And other mm-hmm. people came into power when people were not getting opportunities to perform. They wanted to do their own thing and they wanted mm-hmm. to like, uh, rent the the side room for their own show or rent a place over here but that was taken as a threat which is mm-hmm. weird because dick never really took it as a threat <laughs> but the people who felt like they were the comedy sports entity and wanted to like do their like uh, have the power at comedy sports didn't want other people to do anything or perform other places. And so that's, and that's not uncommon. It's in other places, but usually cities are are bigger and less enmeshed. So it doesn't Mm -hmm. have as much of an impact. Right. But then people would start to get the rep. They would get exiled (laughs) for even attempting to do their own thing. And they would either just leave completely because they were essentially shunned or they would try to come back into the fold with their tail between their legs and uh, be a part of it again. And that happened like a, like a little bouncy ball, like back and forth for many years. Finally, mm-hmm. the sketch group got some legs sketch. Um, mm-hmm. I won't name people, but there was a, a larger sketch group that got kind of um, some legs because it wasn't seen as a complete uh, threat because it's not like Second City. We're not Second improv. City. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it kind of sucks because that person who started that is very good at improv, but really couldn't do any improv on their own because they would be exiled completely and seen as yeah. a threat, right? But I'm yeah. glad that they, you know, are doing their own sketch thing. And then, then this finally this group left and started doing their own improv. And they wanted to... They very specifically called it long form because they didn't mm-hmm. want to compete with short form right. comedy sports. And then they started to get a little bit of legs. But then a lot of the things that we've spoken about today yeah. also impacted, you know, the fact right. that they couldn't sustain past a few years. But also they weren't able to, like I said, have that medium view. And that's mm-hmm. what needs to happen is people need to know that there's enough there's a lot of scarcity thought process like yeah if 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 you're successful then i can't be successful if this happens then that can't happen and none of that's true i always say like a a a thought a, a belief is just a thought you keep thinking and so if you only have that narrow view mm-hmm. and that scarcity and that lack like you know i was when i came home almost three years ago now like i going way back to the beginning of what you said, people think when when you are kind of like a, a celebrity or have a reputation or a lot of people mm-hmm. know you that they know you, right? Mm-hmm. So I literally was questioned when I would go to comedy sports to support people at shows. 
I had, I went to a, I love going to student showcases. And one night I went to a student showcase at comedy sports and people literally, two people came up to me and said, what are you doing here? And I'm just like, I literally wanted to be like, I was here before you were born. Before you, (laughs) you know, (laughs) before you, before you even knew what comedy, how you could spell comedy sports. Okay. So like, do not. But I, I was very, I was very kind. And I was just like, well, I'm here to support the student <laughs> showcases, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but it's like, you know, that's, that's our, that's our environment. And you probably to a certain extent agree with that, you know? No, I, it, I think that's super insightful and a, and a, a good summary of it. Cause as I look back, as we started our thing, I think it was just seen as, Oh, that's cute what they're doing yeah and uh and then we started to to get more and more gigs and i don't i don't think it was dick chudna who i still see every now and again but there was a feeling yeah like yeah you're not you're not part of this anymore which led to kind of pulling back and that sort of sense of competition i don't i didn't necessarily hear much of it like personally but some others in our smaller troupe at the time here in milwaukee would go to shows and and there'd be like little comments or things like that where it's just kind of like okay i don't need to make this a thing if someone's views us as a threat even though i don't think we are i think we're doing different things and there's plenty out there the world is big scarcity mentality is a big thing but what was interesting is that some of those harshest comments seemed to come from just anybody within the community. It was almost like, okay, yeah. this is this is like we this is part of how we show our loyalty to this right. this uh, entity right. by trashing someone else. Yeah. Unhealthy, right? Yeah. I don't think there's too many examples of places that are doing it well. I know that there have been improvement in some communities. I think Boston did it pretty well yeah i don't know that community as well so i know and and i think that it was a bit of an anomaly honestly and chicago may have done it slightly well i'm not sure so in in boston there there were two big main theaters and then there were a lot of offshoots right so there was improv asylum and improv boston and i kind of uh like look at improv boston because they're the nonprofit where they're like the scrappy Mm. little theater that could right and but (laughs) they've been around for like 40 years so they're doing pretty well and then Improv Asylum was the moneymaker. They were the commercial, the East Coast second city. They were, you know, a tight little machine. Um, and they've yep. now moved into New York, which is a great move for them because they, you know, they work on, they help people with SNL packets, different things like that, you know, and that's part of their brand. And they mm-hmm. do the sketch, the improv to sketch and, and all of mm-hmm. that. But then there were a ton of like indie theaters and the indie, the independent improv troupe scene was booming in Boston. And I yeah. I think that that would be a very healthy thing for Milwaukee. But people are terrified to break away from wherever they say their loyalty is. Like mm-hmm. you said, right? And so that is a, it's a retraining and it's a re, it's a redoing of a lot of damage that's been done over the years. And you do have, and like, like I said, I, I don't have an issue with Dick at all, but like at some point, because you are a leader in this, it would be great if you did step your toe in and kind of say, you know, like 
if he has the capacity, he might not, you know, he's been through some things, but right. like, like, and he may not know about some of these things oh, that knows. you and I are. Okay. <laughs> well, I was, he doesn't know. In be detail. Generous. Yeah. You're <laughs> right. being generous, but yeah. he doesn't know in great detail, but you know, he's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my entire life. So he's aware, but it would be great if that kind of leadership took place. I don't think he has to do that, but I, it, I think it would be helpful. I don't have the capacity to tell people and preach to people what's possible here and what can mm-hmm. be done. I just don't have that capacity. I love Milwaukee so much. I like, for example, I'll give you like kind of probably a might feel like a weird example. I am so proud of you. I do not know you. I don't know like exactly what your company does, but I am so excited and happy that you exist more of you should exist you know what i mean like yeah well that's the same that's the same thing i just expressed it stronger louder and faster (laughs) typed than you did (laughs) because it is there is a sense of yeah this is this is uh you your success i mean i i don't i don't need any particular success i'm not looking to to get a certain thing out of this but you doing better is you know and more people knowing about it that makes me happy and it you know even if i never had a conversation with you i would still feel good about it and somehow uh sharing in it yeah and and that's you know hopefully how we would all feel about it but if you look at it as competition and i've got to somehow beat you to do well for me then we don't get the joy of the other's success then it turns into pain in some ways which is horrible yeah well that's very kind of you to say but uh um okay let me let me tell you another moment i was proud of you um so (laughs) i just used you as an example in our group for a a thing that i feel like is a hard thing mistake that people make all the time out of the gate and it's there's always risk in retelling an improv moment but i thought this was brilliant and subtle and i think i can explain it so you were in the everybody get in here festival and you were doing the uh uh, what was your week like, or what is oh, what is the name of that week? show? How was how your week? Was your week? <laughs> Why did I make it harder to say? <laughs> um, and you had a scene that the suggestion was kittens, and you came out, and it was you and someone else. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> and you said that you were uh, happy to sell this person a cat. I mean, you had a different line than that. And the person said, yeah, I really want to get a kitten for for my wife or my daughter or whatever it was. And what happens a lot of times is people defer to the second choice and let go of the first. But you you, you took it back. So like, yeah, no, no, no. I, I sell the cats, not the kittens. You held to the reality of it. And now you've got a scene as opposed to everybody's like, well, wait, she said cats or whatever. I just feel like that first offer needs to be recognized and it was a good, solid, pro, natural move that so many people trip over. (laughs) Oh, thank you. 
Yeah, you can hold, we call it differently, right? I don't know if you say this, but you're like holding on to your stuff, right? Right, um, right. And I think it's more fun that way. Well, it's like, we don't talk about this like personally with improv. I think it's like kind of just like an understood thing, but we both feel very strongly. You can say yes and you can say no. You know, right. uh, it, it, we talk about yes and in improv and that is absolutely correct, but you can still say yes while you're saying no. And it is, mm-hmm. I do think it is a little bit of, as you say, a pro move, so to speak, right? But it's, it's, it's just fun. It's just really fun because, and it's not denying the reality. It's literally just like no. adding to it and, and just like moving that scene into a direction. Plus, I like to mess with Jim. Jim is like a really fun, insane player. Um, I like to mess with him because he likes to mess with us all the time. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just, it's just a really fun thing to do. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. Well, about it's that. Yeah, well it's it is kind of one of those things that you can talk about contextually, but it was like it was so clean. It was like <laughs> this just this. <laughs> this is how how you avoid that problem because yeah, it is kind of messy, but it's also like it's good for the audience because mm-hmm. they've seen it all. They've heard yeah. all of it and now it's like okay, both both things were hanging together. He was there to buy a kitten. You were there to sell a cat. <laughs> Tension. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I said I wasn't going to do a gotcha thing, but uh, I actually do have one. Do it. Okay. So in just prepping, you know, you've got a couple of um, episodes uh, out there. And people will continue to hear from you over time because you have a lot to say about improv. But I found Michelle Gilliam's podcast from uh, 2014, July 25th, 2014. Six small business public relations tips. I'd like to hear your top six public relations tips. (laughs) Is this real? <laughs> There's another Michelle Gilliam out there. She, she did one episode. <laughs> and I, I figured out it wasn't you. But, you know, hey, what do you have to say to the... I kind of wondered because I knew you had this business thing before. I'm like, okay, is it public relations? No, it's not the same Michelle Gilliam. But what would be she your top six? She follows me on six? Twitter and LinkedIn, which is kind of funny. <laughs> oh, does she? Okay. Yeah, she found me. I guess she was Googling herself and she like... <laughs> messages me every once in a while which is kind of funny to me okay well outdo michelle gilliam when it comes (laughs) to public relationships what do you got for us well i think that (laughs) public relations tips is funny (laughs) that was my that's my major um well i i i think oh gosh what do you say with this I don't, I don't, it's going to sound so judgy. Be a good human. <laughs> or Number have, one. <laughs> <laughs> or have good humans around you. <laughs> Two. <laughs> <laughs> have fun. Three. Okay. Um, feel good as much as you possibly can, as often as you possibly can. All right. Four. Um, Need two more. Have, have I think I already said this kind of, but like I really do mean have a good team and allow them to help you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then the capper. The, the capper. The, yeah, number six is um, good lighting online. <laughs> <laughs> 
That is so much better than don't use a free email address and get your own .com. Yeah, sorry, other Michelle Gilliam, but yeah. the, the real stuff is in 2021. I was like, 2014, there's no way I was still in Madison. Like, <laughs> that is well, I funny. didn't know. I didn't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I feel like I've got a lot of other things that I could share, but I feel like in some ways we'll we'll put a bow on this now. You continue to uh, make Milwaukee proud, make improv proud, uh, make me proud. And so I know people online have gotten to know you that much more and that's going to pay uh, dividends and lead to good things for you as things open up. As always, I'll make sure people have links to uh, improvmke.com, right, is where the theater is as well as you can find them on social media and all that kind of stuff. Pay attention to Michelle Gilliam if you aren't already and thank you for the time and uh, we'll have to meet in person. One of yes. these days. I'll have to see so. your legs. <laughs> <laughs> You're almost a foot and a half taller than me. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Kneecap down is all excess. <laughs> all right. Thanks again. Thank you. I'm really excited about what Michelle has accomplished personally and through Improv MKE already. And expecting of great things when things are more open in person in this area. Starting a physical improv space coming out of a pandemic is a challenging endeavor, but having the foundation of care, respect, and value of each individual that will be part of the community connected to that space is such a great place to start. And looking back over our conversation, there are a lot of things I could highlight. I enjoyed reflecting on celebrating each other's success, and beyond that, just celebrating that someone from where I live is having an impact. That's a core element of who Michelle is, but wouldn't that be a wonderful way for us to support each other in our local improv communities too, or even just in life? Another aspect that occurs to me is something that we didn't necessarily talk about explicitly, how you manage your improv or comedy journey. From a young age, Michelle got some help and guidance along the way, but she was the one figuring things out. She didn't follow paths that might have undervalued or conflicted with the core of who she is and what she values. That takes self-confidence, self-awareness, discernment, and courage, but it also affords you the opportunity to make something of your own in your art or, or otherwise. There are some big lessons within her journey, but maybe a good way to contextualize that for you is to reflect on whether the path you're on is the path you want to be on, and if not, what might you do about it? There's more to say, of course, but you can also get that direct Michelle Gilliam experience by checking things out at improvmke.com. People from around the world have participated in the frequent jams, dropping classes, and more through her company. And she's been a sought-after teacher that other theaters have brought in for workshops. Basically, if you're not finding her, it's probably on you. Even so, you can look for more info and links on the episode webpage at improvcomedyconnection.com. Hey, you. I want to thank you for listening. Some of you have dropped me a note and others have done the rating and review thing in different spots. That's been really nice. There's been some tough things in my world of late, so I've really appreciated you making the connection personal and encouraging. So thank you. Again, my name is Whit Schiller and I'm an improviser out of Milwaukee. That's the city where Michelle Gilliam is from, by the way, and I'm with Fish Steaks Comedy. You can check us out at fishsteakscomedy.com and you can connect with me on social media at Witchiller on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. 
You can also go to witchiller.com for additional content and resources to help you in your comedy or communication journey. I'm doing this to be of help to you and others as we work together to connect more deeply with each other and our audiences through comedy. Thanks again for tuning in to the Improv Comedy Connection.